One Canadian city is out of the running to become a hub for the NHL playoffs. We preview the upcoming CHL import draft, and we talk about the newest inductees into the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's an episode worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. Okay, maybe not necessarily, but this is the Deep Geeks Podcast, and it starts right now. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the club. This is episode 11 of the Deep Geeks Podcast. Glad to have you with us once again. I'm your host, Thomas Mercy, and I am joined every week by the lovely Miss Amanda Zakowski. Amanda, how are we doing this week? We are doing good. There is uh, so much happening right now in the world of sports as far as moving pieces. So things are starting to heat up and uh, it gives us more to talk about. Absolutely. And with the NHL, obviously, uh, back around the corner for playoffs, you know, there's obviously been a lot that's happening in reference to the playoffs, which could jeopardize its future. We'll get into that in a moment. But of course, the first big news of the day, which actually uh, was released yesterday, is that the NHL and the Hockey Hall of Fame has announced its 2020 class, and it is a pretty great class to look at. Uh, the most notable names, of course, Jerome Ginla, Marion Hossa, Kevin Lowe, and Doug Wilson are among five players and one builder that have been elected into the Hall of Fame. Going along with them is Kim St. Pierre from the Canada Women's National Team, and the builder category will go to one Ken Holland. So some great news obviously coming out. We expected to hear... Uh, the Hall of Fame class very soon, especially with the draft lottery coming up. And now we have our confirmed class. And I don't know about you, Amanda, but it's been a long time coming for people uh, like, you know, Kevin Lowe, Doug Wilson, especially for Aginla and Hosa. It's great to see them finally get the nod and they're going to enter their rightful place into uh, into the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. You know, it's great to see uh, Aginla get into the Hall of Fame on the first try. Uh, same thing with Marion Hosa. Um, these guys are guys that had storied careers. And although, you know, in the case of Aginla and not winning the cup, he still had so much happen in his career and contributed in so many ways to the game of hockey that his call to the Hall of Fame is absolutely well-deserved. Absolutely. I mean, you, you brought it up. Aginla came very close to winning a cup. I mean pretty much one goal and one game away from doing that. But unfortunately they lost to Tampa, of course, back in 2004 where Corey Stillman won it uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. But for Marion Hosa, he's been an amazing player since, you know, he came into the National Hockey League. Just an amazing career for him, over 1,000 points in over 1,300 games. Uh, and I mean, you know, he could arguably be one of the greatest players to ever come out of Slovakia. And just... You know, the the amount of teams he's been with, he's got his start in Ottawa and he really started to develop afterwards, but then Ottawa lost him to Atlanta and that's where he really broke out. And then, of course, he goes on to win, um, finally win his cup with Chicago because he was there from 2009 until 2017 before he was uh, traded to Arizona for that cap dump. But for, a guy, for guys like Hosa and Aginla, it's great to have them finally enter the Hall of Fame, as they should. And for legends like Kevin Lowe and Doug Wilson, after so long, finally they are able to get into that category. And for someone like Kevin Lowe, in my opinion, one of the most underrated players in the National Hockey League, because he was really a fantastic player for Edmonton. And finally, for someone of his nature, who has played over 1,200 games, 
but was that really big, strong defenseman that really helped the Oilers succeed in the early uh, in the early 80s and 90s, he was a very special player and rightfully deserving a spot in the Hall of Fame in my eyes. Absolutely. And you know what? I want to go back to Marion Hosa because obviously having grown up in, in Ottawa, I had the pleasure of, of getting to take in quite a few Suns games. And Marion Hosa was my favorite player that I saw while mm-hmm. I was in Ottawa. And my dad would always joke around with me. He goes, why do you like him? Like, he's not great i'm like just wait just wait (laughs) dad just wait and you know what i'm gonna have to make a phone call now after we're done recording today and and call him and ask him you know hey dad remember that time where you kept telling me and bugging me about marion hosa and not Mm. being that great yeah you know what he just got into the hall of fame and i think that maybe you owe me an apology because i always said to him i said just wait he keeps getting better every single year he's creative the speed that he had, I loved watching him skate. Like, honestly, you would just go to the game and you would just watch him. And mm-hmm. it, playing with some of the players that he got to play with throughout that time. And like you said, he really exploded when he went to the Thrashers. But uh, you know what? A great career for him. And, um, you know, obviously he he was able to win the Cup with uh, Chicago and, uh, you know, really cap off that, that career that he had. And, you know, to your point about Kevin Lowe and – you know, the, the contributions that he made to the game as well and who he got to play with, with the Edmonton Oilers, right, during those heydays of the Edmonton Oilers, he put up impressive numbers and uh, it is well-deserved and long overdue for him. Absolutely. And <laughs> if I were to call your father, I'd be like, so, remember that Marion Hosa kid? Yeah, he really turned out to be something, didn't he? I would almost exactly. run it in his face. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it, it, it's good that Marion Host is finally in the hall. And obviously, people would consider him not to be an immediate Hall of Famer during his first year of induction. But obviously, they gave us some time and some thought. And they figured, you know what, now is the time that he's worthy to get into that spot. Absolutely. And with, you know, with him, obviously his career was cut a little bit short because Mm -hmm. I think there was still more left in the tank with him, but he had to pull the plug on his career um, with that skin disorder that he has and that he was battling and just couldn't do it anymore. I I think there was even more left out of him though. And that's, that's the part that just makes you wonder, okay, was this part of the reason why on that first try he went in? Because you know, we, we said that we were going to talk about the snubs and there are some guys that were snubbed that were potentially equally deserving of getting the call to the hall this year. And let's get to those snubs. Uh, looking at the score.com, uh, they have a list of pretty notable snubs. We'll start from the bottom with their honorable mentions, Patrick Elias, Rod Brendamore, Sergey Gonchar, and Julie Chu. Uh, in my eyes, I feel like Elias should be a Hall of Famer, especially... Rod Brendamore because he brought he helped bring a cup to Carolina at the time and is still coaching for them. So I can't help but feel like Elias and Brendamore might be the front runners. Obviously, the arguments there for Sergey Gonchar, amazing defenseman, might take a few years for him to get there, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, let's get to the four notable names, uh, the four notable snubs, I should say, that the score has listed. We'll start from the bottom with Jennifer Botterill, who of course has played for the. Uh, women's national team, three Olympic gold medals, five world championships while representing her country, producing almost a point per game with 174 in 184 games. And, it, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that a notable name like Jennifer Botterill was snubbed, 
But of course, there are a few other front runners that obviously would have deserved the spot over her. But I can't feel like in the future she might be able to get that nod. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she is the one that gets in next year. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I definitely think that, like you said, you, her resume speaks for itself. And it, she's definitely deserving of being in the hall. No question. And she she's only one of four players in NCAA history to record 100 points or more in a single NCAA campaign, which is you know, obviously more to add to her resume. So I feel like she might be the next nod, but we'll have to wait and see. Let's go to a player that is really up for debate in a lot of people's eyes. And, you know, obviously you think about his past off the ice. People have taken this into consideration. It's, it's Theo Fleury. And it, this is a really hard one to debate because... As great as a player Fleury was, he obviously had his demons that he faced throughout his life while playing in the National Hockey League. And of course, with his book and play Playing With Fire, it goes really in-depth about it. And it really speaks volumes of how he struggled, but he still managed to find a way to actually play the game and play it for so long. So you add that uh, as a factor into whether or not he gets in the Hall of Fame you know, he, he's more than a fan favorite, to say the least. He's still well-respected in Calgary. He's loved in Calgary. Like, he averages over a point per game with uh, 1,088 points in 1,084 games. Like, he... And, of course, he's a Stanley Cup champion, so you take that into factor. But, again, not everyone needs to win a cup to be a great player. And that's kind of a case in point with another player we'll get to in a second... But this debate, Amanda, is in a lot of people's eyes. Do you think that the five foot six Leo Fleury deserves to get in the Hall of Fame in the future? Absolutely, without question. Uh, yes, there are some things in his past that he battled with. Um, obviously, if you live under a rock, you have not heard his story. Uh, but if you're involved in hockey in any capacity, um, if you have not read his book, please pick it up and read it. It is great read. Uh, profound it is very profound yeah. um and i think that for him this okay so this was not the year but i do believe that he is going to end up in the hockey hall of fame like you said he in his nhl career you know 1084 games he averaged over a point a game just over a point a game yeah and i would like to challenge people at home to think of somebody who played with as much passion as Theo Fleury. And mm. I think he's always going to be at the top of the list for people because, you know, maybe top three. Think, if you think back in the heydays of the late 80s and coming into the 90s, uh, who played with, like, just passion? And you could see it. It's Theo Fleury in my yeah. eyes. And that is cause for him to look at the big picture and say, okay, let's break this down. What did he do throughout his career? How did he impact the game of hockey? And you know what? Five foot six, he went a long way. He was drafted in the eighth round of the 87 NHL entry draft. Which is crazy. Crazy, right? When you think about that, eight round guys don't really hold a lot to them for the most part that we're not hearing the stories of the guys that are drafted in the eighth round. That's not the norm. Mm -hmm. So he beat the odds. 
he became a player that had an impact on the teams that he played with. And you know what? I think he absolutely deserves the call to the hall. Absolutely. And, you know, for someone of his size, he was a really, like you said, passionate but also gritty player. Like, he was not afraid to throw his body around, and that's what made him a really unique player for his time. And that's why, you know, so many teams wanted him. And for Calgary, he was a legend with the Flames. And, you know, obviously you think with maybe future Hall of Fame glasses that he might be the next name that we see down the road. Um, Before I give you my opinion on this next player, I want to get yours. I'll say his name and then I'll get your opinion. Daniel Alfredson. Okay, so (laughs) this one's kind of a hot topic, right? Because Mm -hmm. uh, I think that there are a lot of people that feel like he's being snubbed. Um, He certainly has, you know, we we look at, okay, let's rewind just a second before I mince my words here. Uh, Theo Fleury, eighth round guy that also got snubbed. Well, Daniel Alfredson was a sixth round selection in the 94 NHL entry draft. Mm -hmm. And he definitely made an impact on the hockey club. Um, I think too, he became that franchise player of the Ottawa senators for the time that he was there. And when he was traded uh, or he signed with Detroit, it felt like the heart and soul of the Ottawa senators got ripped out. Mm -hmm. And You know, the fans, again, from Ottawa, they're a passionate group of fans. And there was so much disaccord with with what was happening. And, you know, when he was finished playing with the Red Wings um, and his career was done, you know, Daniel still became very involved with the Ottawa Senators. It was still involved with the Ottawa Senators Foundation, has done tremendous work in the city of Ottawa uh, and, I think that when you look at his numbers, he put up impressive numbers. He, you know, he got to start in, in 95 with the Sens and, you know, played until the 2013-2014 the season. And even in that, that season with the Detroit Red Wings, when he hung up his skates, he played 68 games and he had 49 points. Like, this is mm-hmm. a guy that was still producing at that time in his career. Um, he... He's a guy that, for the most part, didn't miss a whole bunch of time throughout his playing career. There was a couple seasons where, you know, the numbers were a little bit lower as, as you know, he's battling injuries, whatnot. But for the most part, this was a guy that was there to compete every single night, uh, played 1,246 career games, and finished with 1,157 points. So should he be in the Hall of Fame? Maybe. Yeah, I, I would say so. I don't think that this was the year for him. Well, and yeah. Now, this obviously wasn't his first opportunity to get into the Hall of Fame, but no. I just don't think that it's there yet. No, not there yet. And like the score.com says, he's not a slam dunk Hall of Famer. So no. it's not really surprising that for his first three years of eligibility that he was passed over. But there's still the chance that he could very well go into the Hall of Fame. And you think of other players that could be along the lines of getting in the Hall of Fame. There's really no debate that Alfredson is going to get in the Hall of Fame at some point. Because he's still considered one of the all-time greatest players to ever come out of Sweden. And is arguably one of, if not the greatest Ottawa Senator of all time. Because there's a lot of players from that, in that category. Like, say, you know, maybe a Jason Spezza or a Chris Phillips. 
But the impact that Alfredson had, especially on that cup run that the Sens had to play the Ducks in the final, he was a humongous contributor to that. And obviously, Ottawa recognizes that. That's why his number 11 is never going to be worn again because it's hung up in the rafters. It's still a shame that he never got that cup because he could have really gotten that much closer. He was one win away from it. But he still got, you know, a Calder. He still got an Olympic gold medal. He still got a pretty great resume. And he's still an amazing, you know, athlete. But then obviously, you know, we don't factor in his work with the centers in the office because he didn't last all that long. But his on-ice achievements alone has to earn him a nod in the Hall of Fame at some point. Maybe not right now or maybe next year or even a couple years down the road. There's still a chance, but again, like the score said, it's not a slam dunk Hall of Famer, but he's pretty damn close. So I can't help but feel like Danny Alfredson is going to be in the Hall of Fame very soon. Well, and like you said, you know, he, he won the Calder Memorial Trophy in, in the 95-96 season. He's won the King Clancy Memorial Trophy. He won the Mark Messier NHL Leadership Award in 2012-2013. This is a guy that has is well-respected within the game of hockey, but... Mm-hmm. Did he have a Hall of Fame career? And I think that's where really the debate comes from is because people look at that and say, okay, yes, he contributed both on and off the ice to the game of hockey, but he didn't win a cup. And, you know, we go back to that. Well, winning a cup doesn't determine really if you're going to get into the Hall of Fame or not. But you know what? It sure helps because if you can take your, your team all the way and win that cup and hoist that Stanley Cup over your head at the end of a season, I think that helps him. I, I believe that if he had won a cup, this wouldn't even be up for debate and he would be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. That's the other thing that people take into consideration is the fact that Alfredson and the Ottawa Senators as a whole don't have a cup. And that's what that's that's a trophy that a lot of people think is basically earning your right into the Hall of Fame. And I'm going to squash that right now because you think about players that have won a cup that will never go into the Hall of Fame because they maybe are not Hall of Fame worthy. Alfredson never won a cup, but his achievements on the ice are definitely worthy of being in the Hall of Fame in the future. And the last player on this list, I still can't believe that he was snubbed. For the 11th year in a row, Alexander McGillney's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Like, I know there's a lot of great players that have come through Amanda, but 11 years... That a guy like Alexander McGillney, with a, with a career that he had and a story that he has, he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Like, when when are they finally going to let him in? Well, and it, this one's interesting because if you look at his point totals for um, his career in the NHL, he actually, I believe, averages higher points per game than Jerome McGinley. Yeah, 1,032 um, points in 990 games. Yeah. And, oh, man, 10 games short of that 1,000-game mark, right? Crazy. It's, his, uh, his career was cut short, like, way way too soon. Yeah. And you know what? This is another guy, round five, 88 NHL entry drafts. Like, these are not first-round guys that we're, we're having conversations about here. These are guys that went later on but had the career that I think deserves being in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, you and I grew up at a bit of a different – time frame because I'm a little bit older than you are but the late 80s and early 90s to me were the heydays of the NHL and I grew up in that time frame and that's when 
I really like late 80s was when I started really, really watching hockey. And I was only like four years old, three and a half, like when I really got into it. And watching him, especially when he played for the Leafs in the early 2000s, that was kind of that Alexander McGillney to me without question should be in the hall of fame. I, 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 this one baffles me a little bit. Yeah. For 11, 11 straight years that he got stumped from, from the hall of fame. And it's, it's really quite crazy that he still hasn't gotten his rightful spot. And you think about his story because he ranks third all time in goals and goals per game among Russian forwards, which is nuts. And is fourth in points among his countrymen who have played in the national hockey league. And of course, McGillney made history by becoming the first ever player to defect from the Soviet Union to play in the NHL. That really set the tone for, you know, Russians coming over to play in the National Hockey League. He was the first to ever do it. That makes him unique and helped grow the game of hockey, in my opinion. Plus, not to mention 200-plus point seasons, including 127 points in 1992-93, which are numbers we may never, ever see again. Especially from, you know, obviously Connor McDavid is fantastic. Could he put up that kind of numbers? Yeah, very well. But it's not as easy to do so, especially since the game has changed so much over the years. And the fact that McGillney's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame for the 11th straight year, it still really baffles myself and a lot of people. Because I, I do remember his time with the Leafs, as great as it was. But his really great years were, of course, in Buffalo. That's mm-hmm. that's where he really broke out and really put up these ridiculous numbers. Now, obviously, he played with, in Buffalo before I was born, but he was still a player that I really recognized and saw highlights of him because he was, without a doubt, at the time, the best Russian player that you can get on the market before, obviously, when the likes of Pavel Bure or Alex Ovechkin would come along. McGillney was the guy and is, you know, obviously somebody that needs to be in the Hall of Fame because he's the one that grew the game of hockey for the NHL to bring in overseas players, especially the Russians. So how much longer is it going to take for the Hockey Hall of Fame to welcome him through their doors? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure because when you look at the the history, like you said, he's the first player to defect to come and play. He paved the way for for these other kids that were up and coming. Uh, You know, he was the first Russian uh, team captain named in the NHL. Mm -hmm. Uh, The list goes on of, of how he paved the way. And I think because of that as well, tied in not only with what he did on the ice, that that deserves, you know, that call to the Hall of Fame and and rightfully should be there. Yeah. And the fact that he literally risked his life to come play in North America and having a tremendous career to follow suit, it's still baffling that denies his recognition that he deserves. And hopefully, you know, they see that and they let him in. Because, I mean... I think you and I can agree he he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but it's taken far too long for him to get that spot. For sure. Let's move on to our next topic now, Amanda. And this one, <laughs> this happened after we recorded the episode. There's, there's a couple topics here that uh, happened after recording the episode or happened when we released the episode. So obviously people want us to talk about this. The first 
thing that we need to talk about is, of course, um, Daniel Carcillo. For people who don't remember him, uh, you know, has played junior hockey, obviously, in the CHL and OHL because he played for Sarnia at the time. Uh, was a pretty notable tough guy uh, in the National Hockey League. And, of course, he wants to bring light to uh, concussions and CTE and brain research. And now he's come out with some really big news in the light of the uh, the Eric Guest accusations. Daniel Carcillo is now filing a class action lawsuit against the Canadian Hockey League. Um, and looking through it, we're not going to mention everything that his lawyer says because this is some pretty it's some pretty explicit content really and yeah it, it's really tough to talk about um but fr- from what Daniel Carcillo his statement uh that he released says and I quote uh, I'll try to read this as fast as I can I commenced a class proceeding today against the Canadian Hockey League and its leagues and teams it is on behalf of underage minors who suffered violent hazing physical and sexual assault, and physiological trauma while playing major junior hockey. I was one of these kids when I played in the OHL. I know there are many more just like me. I believe this case will give those who were abused a chance to be heard. In my experience, sharing stories of abuse is part of the healing process. It allows a person to take the power back. I also believe that this lawsuit will create real positive change in Canadian junior hockey. This type of abuse has nothing to do with the sport and it needs to be stopped, end quote. And a lot of people took this either the right way or the wrong way. People think, you know, people would obviously side with Carcillo because hazing does exist. I have seen it firsthand. Obviously, Akim Alou comes to mind in his story. He is a prime example of hazing uh, culture in hockey. But then there are people that think, that Daniel Carcillo, in the lights of everything that's been happening lately, is trying to get a payday from the Canadian Hockey League and that this lawsuit is is just making false accusations. And again, this is a really, really touchy subject, but the accusations he's making, Amanda, are really, really strong ones from his time in Sarnia. And honestly, it still makes me sick to my stomach to think that something like this could happen as extreme as it sounds. If this did indeed happen, something does need to be done. And for those that haven't seen the statement, you can check our Twitter at DeekGeeksPod. We have the the full listing from, um, from Daniel Carcillo's lawyer. Looking through all of this, there's a lot of points that were made and a lot of hazing uh, rituals, it's pretty extreme, Amanda, and this is really touchy to talk about. It is a tough conversation to have, right? Because nobody wants to talk about these things, and it seems that the way of the world is to, oh, this happened, let's sweep it under the rug. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of why this is coming out. You know, I'm reading from ESPN right now, and it says the lawsuit seeks damages for negligence, breach of fiduciary uh, duty, and breach of contract. But it also calls for a declaration that the teams in the leagues are vicariously liable for abuse perpetrated by their employees and players. And I think that the piece about that is the piece that people need to hang on to because you need to understand that you know, the CHL needs to be liable. The teams need to be liable. If this is happening under their noses, 
you know, in this particular case, it is alleged that a head coach of a team participated in these types of behaviors and the hazing that was involved with this. It needs to be stopped. There yeah. isn't a space for this in hockey. And, you know, Eric Guest came out. Uh, it's been, what, two weeks now since this has first come to light that there were problems within the organization in Kitchener as well. But the the big picture here is that there are people that are sitting at home right now that play in the OHL or that have played in, in the CHL. Let's go CHL as a whole, who are reading this and saying, this also happened to me. Yeah. Without question. Because there are people that have walked away from the game of hockey, not because they've lost the love of the game, but that they did not want to be involved in things like this. Mm -hmm. And there are players that we have seen um, that suffer from depression because of instances that have happened throughout their career. And, you know, as a parent, you, you look at that. And I think we talked about this last week and I said, you know, from a mother's perspective, I would do anything for my child. Uh, And I think that this coming to light really shines um, a not so positive light on on the CHL or or the game of hockey as a whole. However, we know that this is going on and it needs to stop because there really isn't a place for this in the game. Mm -hmm. You know, athletes, we always talk about athletes, you know, being held to a, a higher standard because everybody is looking at them. Uh, the eyes of the world are on them, especially when it comes to professional athletes, right? You think yeah. about football players, especially football players, because there's been so many issues in the past. But um, you look at sports as a whole, and people that look up to these these professional athletes are children, for the most part, right? It's it's kids that you, you gravitate to one or two players, and you want to be just like them, and they're your idols. And But then you hear stories like this that come out. And this is the part that you don't want to have your kids look up to somebody that's doing this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That's just not what you want. And it's scary. It's scary to know that even today, this is still happening. Yeah. It's it's still happening because I, I, I have heard the stories from... Uh, of other players, obviously, there's a lot more people that are coming out with their own stories. Um, and you know, this happened back in 2002 when Carcillo was in Sarnia. This, uh, this was before I came back to going to Wolves games, like well before. So I'm just learning about this now. Um, you know, obviously, Eric Guest made some pretty strong accusations in related to uses of cocaine. This one for Carcillo is about hazing, abuse, and assault. So th- these are really strong accusations. And obviously, you know, there's a really bad light that's being shone on the CHL right now. And, you know, the fact that Carcillo toughed this out, if the accusations are indeed true, it shows how strong he was. Because, I mean, look what he did in the National Hockey League. He was a tough son of a gun. So... But still, it obviously plays a huge factor on your mind and your mental health for something like this to happen. And again, looking through the list still, it's very sickening and are very, very strong accusations. Whether they be true or not, we won't debate on that point. But 
with obviously with you and I being representative of the Wolves in the Ontario Hockey League, we have to listen to both sides of the story. We listen to Carcillo's side and then obviously listen to the coaches and players from Carcillo's past on their side of the story to really try and get an understanding of this. And then hopefully when this lawsuit does come to an end, whenever that may be, that we have the final verdict and we figure out what the hell was going on when Carcillo was in Sarnia. So again, if this continues to develop, we'll obviously keep a track of it. But this is all we know for now. And I've had people ask me about this Carcillo thing. And it's, again, really touchy to talk about because of what's going on right now. And that whatever you say, whether it be on the internet or in person, it sticks with you forever. So obviously, you know, it, it's really, it really is tough to talk about. And I want to end it here by saying this. I, as much... As I didn't like Carcillo for the kind of player he was in the National Hockey League, I still respect the hell out of him because he had a job to do. And his job was to hit players and punch people in the face, which he was very good at doing. I hope that, you know, if these allegations are indeed true, that there will be hopefully compensation for people down the road. But... This needs to be taken very seriously because, again, strong accusations that are coming to light 18 years later. So hopefully that this gets resolved quickly and that this doesn't go sour and just is and just doesn't work out for either side. So hopefully this does uh, get resolved sooner rather than later. Do you, do you kind of agree with that, Amanda? I Absolutely. I think that um, obviously there's more to, like you said, the story, one side versus the other. Uh, I have my opinion on which side I'm on, that is for sure. And I think that anybody that's listening can clearly understand which side I'm on. But there does need to be an investigation into into the allegations that, you know, Eric Guest brought forward. Obviously, there wasn't an investigation back when Carcilla brought everything forward and nothing came of it. And And that's the part that I think the whole mentality of sweep under the rug and, you know, Brock McGillis, who we had talked about off the air, um, I think last week, you know, he put out an article shortly after everything came out with, with both of these situations. And he said one of the biggest issues that he finds, and I quote is conformity in the sport where people are looking to fit in. And it's, you got to remember, these are young kids, right? They're mm -hmm. they're 16 to 21 years old. And at 16 years old, if you have a 20-year-old kid that's telling you to do something and you, you want to be part of the team, chances are you're probably going to do it. Um, that's what happens, right? Like, that's just the way things go. But I think this really is going to make um, the hockey world take a look at things and really overhaul maybe the uh, mentality behind a lot of this kind of stuff and really putting in a program that says, you know, this is not what we agree to. And, and, you know, we don't believe in these values, but then turning around and behind closed doors, it's the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. Don't waste your time coming up with a mission statement then. So put together, you know, a program that's actually going to work within, within the CHL and, and the hockey world as a whole uh, and make a change, make a difference. Because if hockey is for everyone, then we shouldn't have stories that, that come up like this. Yep. 
I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, hopefully more people do speak up if they have had, um, you know, been the victim of hazing and abuse during their time, whether it be in junior hockey or professional hockey. Hopefully more people can speak up about this and uh, hopefully we'll learn uh, more developments on this story uh, in the coming weeks and months. Let's move on to our uh, final topic. Well, our second last topic uh, centered around the National Hockey League. And of course, it has to do with the ongoing pandemic of COVID-19. <laughs> and both of these stories happened literally as soon as the podcast went live for last week. The first part of it, Tampa Bay released a statement on Friday saying that three players and a couple of staff members had tested positive for COVID and that they had to shut down their training facilities. So this is, again, another case of players that have come out and have tested positive for COVID during the second phase of the league's guidelines. And I I still can't help but feel like this is not going to go well for National Hockey League because obviously Tampa and the Panthers who are based in Florida have really high percentage of contracting COVID especially in Tampa and Hillsborough County it's not a good situation in the United States and it's not getting any better because of just how the healthcare has been taking this uh, been taking care of this side of things and obviously for Tampa they have a big playoff push coming. And the fact that the three players and staff members who were not mentioned, they are symptomatic uh, other than a few cases of a lower grade flavor, but it's still a really dangerous game that the National Hockey League is playing with. And people, as soon as this was released, were immediately calling for the NHL to just put this season to an end. I'm still on the ropes about this. As much as I want hockey back, there is a humongous risk at play here, and this does not help at all. No, and you know what? The the Lightning facilities have reopened uh, at this point. It'll be... uh, Time will tell, I guess, as to what is going to happen. You know, the MLB is dealing with their own problems. You know, 40 MLB players and staff tested positive for COVID uh, last week. And now, obviously, several Blue Jays players. Like, this goes beyond just hockey When in the world of sports as far as people that are testing positive for COVID. Um, we're seeing these types of scenarios pop up in sports where they have been allowed to resume uh, some type of practicing uh, together as teams. And obviously there is a problem without question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what the, the NHL, as they're looking to kind of establish, okay, what are the next steps? Uh, they continue to seem to kind of steamroll on and and say, okay, well, this is what's going to happen. And these are the dates that we now have for when that, I think it was July 10th training camps open officially. And then I believe they said July 24th was the date that they were looking at to start games again. Uh, Again, we're a month out from those potential things happening as far as actual games being played. But Training camp, as far as training camp is concerned, we're, what, 15, 16 days away from training camp? Mm-hmm. We're getting close. 
Yeah, it is. It is coming quick. And there are more and more problems that have continued to arise. And I think, again, going back to last week, we talked about, you know, where the NHL stood on uh, different protocols. And obviously, there has to be something in place as part of the agreement to come back where there is that magic number of cases that they'd be looking at as far as, you know, potentially pulling the plug. Um, I can't see them delaying things because, at this point, if they delay any longer, it's either delay and now you're playing into November or you're canceling the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's really still kind of baffling that the NHL is going through with this, um, especially considering that since they moved into phase two, that 11 players have tested positive. Yeah. And it, it's still really... It's kind of scary, honestly, to to still think about it because, you know, if if this really gets out of hand, Amanda, they're going to have to shut down the season either before it begins or while it's underway. And it's really going to be tough for the NHL to decide, you know, do we really go through with this or, you know, do we pull the plug on the season? Because Major League Baseball just got their season back. Uh, NBA playoffs are slated to start soon at Walt Disney World. Um, and there's still debate of, you know, whether or not football is going to be coming back. So for the National Hockey League, going forward for them, if things start, uh, continue to spiral out of control like this, then they might have no other choice. Um, and when it came to COVID, obviously players, you know, don't have their names released, um, when it comes to whether or not they were exposed to it, but... There is one player's name who has come out publicly, courtesy of the Toronto Sun, Steve Simmons, and this really had a lot of people upset, and it's because the player who tested positive for COVID was Austin Matthews. Of all people, it was Austin Matthews because he was in Arizona quarantining and being in lockdown from this and Arizona has had a huge spike in numbers when it comes to COVID and unfortunately Austin Matthews according to reports has tested positive and he is without a doubt the biggest and only name that we know of that has tested positive I mean we talked about Brad Richardson a week ago and how he was exposed to uh, COVID and has recovered but Austin Matthews was with Frederick Anderson in Arizona at the time. And luckily for Anderson, he didn't contract COVID. But according to these reports, Amanda, that the the Maple Leaf superstar has reportedly tested positive. And, you know, obviously Toronto is still trying to look to get to be one of the hub cities. But if this is indeed the case, that might not happen. Well, and there's a lot of controversy about Matthew's name even being released because, mm-hmm. you know, it it looks like TSN and Sportsnet both reported that he had tested positive. Um, and not only had they released his name, but they had released the name of uh, the running back from the Dallas Cowboys, uh, Utah Jazz guard. And yet those stories maintained up on their website. Mm-hmm. Then TSN actually pulled down the information about Austin Matthews and you know the um, Steve Simmons journalist who who did report this on Twitter uh, said that he knew that putting it up there was going to be uh, 
you know, a challenge as far as what people were going to say. Um, but I think, that, I don't know, like, why is it that we're reporting names from other leagues, professional leagues, and yet when it comes to the NHL, nobody's name is coming out. And, you know, the NHL is saying, well, it's a personal health matter. Okay, well, what protects the players from you know, in the MLB or, or the NBA or the yeah. NFL, why are, why are they any different? Um, if it's going to be, it's a personal health matter, then it's a personal health matter across every sport. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> people are calling for C Simmons, head right now. Like they want him fired. Like that's how bad this has gotten. And you know, the Maple Leafs are not commenting on these reports at the time. And Matthew's agent, Judd Moldaver, is not responding to the comments either. Like, they either want this under the rug or it's just not true. But but still, the fact that Simmons released this article with Matthew's name on it sparked humongous, humongous controversy. And at first, I thought it was fake. I thought it was just, like, some kind of clickbaity title to try and get people to view their paper. But... No, they're actually reporting this, which mm-hmm. is absurd by today's standards. Realistically, whether they're true or not, it's still really dangerous and can put your job in jeopardy. And for Steve Simmons, this is a really bold but dangerous move. And again, if these are indeed true uh, reports, then you know who else could have possibly been contracted with COVID throughout the rest of the National Hockey League? Not just in Toronto, because... Matthews was in Arizona at the time. He was only with Frederick Anderson and nobody else. But, you know, nobody knows what else could have happened potentially. So going forward, whether these reports will in fact be positive or negative reports, it's really going to be tough to tell what happens down the road because people wanted the NHL season to be canceled just because Matthews has it. I get it's a big-name player like Austin Matthews, but just because one player gets it doesn't mean you should shut down the season. Am I wrong for thinking that? I No, I don't think so. I think it's because of who he is that everybody is like, you know, oh, it's Austin Matthews. Like, we must shut everything down. But the reality is, is that we knew that there was never going to be a situation where there were zero cases at this point. It's impossible. Based on the number of people that are involved with hockey organizations, uh, you know, the you just think about your day-to-day operations and who you come into contact with and whether these are, these are guys that are just going from their house to their, to the training facilities, someone along the way could have come in contact with it. So to, to expect zero, we knew was never a reality, but at the same time, again, we talk about that like magic number of, okay, how many cases is acceptable before they have to look at shutting things down? Mm-hmm. I think it gains notoriety because of who he is. Uh, but I think the big picture is, is that one person is not going to shut this, this league down. No, absolutely not. And, uh, but again, you know, if this, if this virus continues to spread out of control, uh, then the NHL won't have much of a choice but to shut down the season. And you can't really do it just because one player gets it. But then you take in, of course, Rudy Gobert, um, you know, when he was reported to have COVID and when the NBA decided to shut things down, he was really the first major name player that came out that actually contracted COVID. So obviously things have changed, but 
obviously it's a privacy thing, right? Like, obviously, I I don't think Matthews wanted this to be public, but this is the problem with Toronto media, is it not? Because Toronto media obviously likes to spark up controversy. They make these sometimes outlandish headlines and outlandish reports. And that's kind of the reason why some players have not stayed in Toronto because the media has just been so ridiculous over the years. So you think about Phil Kessel and Dion Phaneuf and, you know, their troubling times with the media in the locker room. And this isn't to take a knock at the media as a whole, but there are some people that really just are making a big problem for a lot of these players. Because you think about, like, you know, you look on YouTube of... How many times, you know, John Tortorella has fought with that one guy from a New York-based newspaper because he just apparently asked ridiculous questions, according to John Tortorella. And then, you know, Boyle did the exact same thing. Dan Boyle called him out, too. And, you know, for the media, obviously, they're doing their jobs. But when it comes to releasing big-name players like Austin Matthews, it's really going to spark up a huge conversation and could very well put your job in jeopardy. So hopefully this gets under control and that, you know, we can get back to having a season. But again, it's still a high risk factor uh, for the National Hockey League. And it's a da- I still think it's a dangerous game they're playing with, but uh, I'm still trying to keep faith in them. But, it, you know, if this gets out of hand, Amanda, I, I don't know what else to think moving forward. Uh, last topic for the National Hockey League side of the show, Vancouver may not be a hub city for very much longer. And obviously, with news of Vegas becoming a hub city, there's been rumors that a Canadian city could very well be one of the two hub cities. Vancouver was in the running for it, but according to Global News, this coming out just a few minutes ago at the time of recording this episode there's now a possibility that the NHL is canceling out Vancouver moving forward. So that takes another Canadian city off the map. So do you think there's still a possibility that Canada can be uh, the host of a hub city for the playoffs coming forward? Well, we've talked at end about how I feel like Toronto is off the table, but I feel like the NHL is looking for every possible excuse or reason to end up in Toronto, even though that the transmission rates are very high in Toronto. Um, you know, this article that came out on, on global news is, is quite interesting because, you know, the provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry from uh, British Columbia had signed off on Vancouver as a host, you know, being that they would provide a very strict modified team quarantine, which meant that, once they arrived in BC, they they did need to quarantine for 14 days, but they could quarantine as a group instead of individually. So these types of agreements would also need to happen uh, in Edmonton and in Toronto if those were going to be options. As much as I think having it in Toronto is kind of a nightmare, just as far as what is happening in the city of Toronto... I feel like the NHL really has it kind of in their mind that it's going to be Toronto. Mm -hmm. Edmonton doesn't seem like the most logical choice, I guess. But But I mean, there's a chance. There's there's a a really good chance because they're taking the right steps to move forward with this because they're prompted to do it, but there's still a huge debate. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. And I think that with what we're seeing coming out, obviously Vegas is still a favorite. It hasn't been formally or formally announced that it is going to be Vegas other than there's tons of rumors and speculations, but I think that everything is fueled right now off rumors and speculations. And until we hear for sure, we know for sure Pittsburgh is out of the running. Yeah. Uh, the, the Penguins organization released that they were no longer in consideration for uh, a hub city, much to their disappointment. And I, of course, being a Penguins fan, would have loved to have seen it in Pittsburgh, but not the case. Uh, so I will um, just lick my wounds on that one. And as far as who is left in the running – you know, they still want that Canadian city and, and, and it is down to two options. So at this point, although I think Toronto is just kind of a disaster waiting to happen, just based on the fact that we're here in Ontario, we're hearing all the news, we know what's going on in Toronto. Uh, they literally just moved to stage two on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, it's a head scratcher. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. And Again, provincial government is obviously going to play a humongous factor into this. And you mentioned that BC was ready to move forward with the Canucks Rogers Arena being a place to play the playoffs, which would be great for the city of Vancouver. But again, it looks like they're going back on their decision. It's either that or there's more at play here that we don't know about. And that's the other thing with the other two Canadian cities. Obviously, you mentioned Toronto and how dangerous that could be because they're behind every other city because every other city has already moved into phase two because they're doing a lot better than Toronto is. But then you get to the other city, which is in Edmonton. I think it might work better in Edmonton because um, the location of the arena is a really good spot to have it. And it's kind of secluded from most people, in my honest opinion, because the uh, Toronto's arena, um, Scotiabank Arena, is in the middle of a whole heck of a lot of things. And there's a lot of buildings surrounding it, at least with Vancouver and um, Edmonton. For Vancouver, they're basically only surrounded by like a couple buildings and then, of course, uh, the highways on either side. Where Edmonton, you just have obviously the big apartment buildings and other businesses, but at least it's safer for more players to actually go into compared to um, compared to Scotiabank Arena. So I, I don't know what's going to happen moving forward. It'd be great to have a Canadian city to be a hub, but if it has to both, if both cities have to be in, in America, then so be it. That's just what's going to have to happen. But like we talked a few minutes ago, again, if players continue to keep getting sick and this really gets out of control, then they might have to cancel the season before they even name the second hub city. So we're going to have to wait and see and just, you know, keep our fingers crossed that nothing else comes out of this. But there's still well, going to be a debate about this if Vancouver should be a hub city. Exactly. And I think the other piece while we we're talking about this and I'm listening to you talk, the other piece about this that we're forgetting is TV rights. Yeah. And let's talk about that for a second, because if you look at this, OK, if Vegas is that number one city that they're looking at, they're going to want a city that's in a different time zone. And yeah. Vancouver, same time zone. 
Edmonton, okay, you might have it. I think there's an hour difference between the two. But then if you look at, as an example, Toronto, you're going to have that time difference that would work out really well for TV mm-hmm. rights. And as far as the game is concerned, that is how people are going to be able to consume hockey. Yeah. So those agreements, I think, are also going to play a part in this because as much, like I said, as much as I think Toronto, the idea of Toronto is just not good. Like it really makes me just kind of shake my head in disbelief. I have a feeling that this might be exactly where they end up for reasons that go beyond just playing the game that go to, you know, the TV rights and the contracts that are associated with those, because they're going to have to be able to have multiple games that are aired on television per day just like we do in, you know, a normal season. And you're going to have, you know, a game at 10 o'clock at night, Eastern Standard Time, you know, but that's 7 o'clock out there. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're going to see a team that's on, you know, this side of uh, North America, for sure. Yeah, it's still going to be a really strong debate. And I, I forgot to take the time zone into factor because, you know, is with the playoffs obviously teams if if covid wasn't a thing they'd be playing in their old building so it wouldn't be that much of a problem but you're going to have you're going to have an excessive amount of teams needing to fill in a schedule to play every day and it's going to be a hard schedule to fit in realistically so i i'm still trying to wrap my head around that factor and like you said on that side on that side of North America the fact that it could be in Vancouver and Vegas they're on they're on the western side so the time zones are going to be different and could very well be a factor for how your TV ratings do but for Vancouver you know obviously with Sportsnet and Rogers taking over exclusive Canadian rights for the most part it would be kind of appropriate that Rogers would broadcast from Rogers Arena because they go broadcast Canucks games on a regular basis during the regular season and playoffs if they make it there. You're not very many times going to see a game from Vancouver be on, say, NHL on NBC or any other broadcasting network that's outside of CBC or Sportsnet. And I think that might be the other thing that takes into consideration. And obviously money is really going to be involved in in this part. So moving forward, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what Hub City is going to be named next, but it's going to be a really strong debate for a lot of people. Absolutely. Let's move on to our final topic of the episode. Let's move on to the junior side of things. And, of course, coming up very soon, actually, on Tuesday, June 30th, the CHL Import Draft will, in fact, be happening at 11 Eastern time. And, of course, with this uh, with this import draft, it will be done online as it always has. It will not be changing. Um, and of course the order is basically a two round draft. And obviously this goes by CHL standings. So the worst team, which of course was North Bay statistic wise, will be getting the number one pick. They'll be followed by Acadie Bathurst from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and the Swift Current Broncos, uh, in the third spot. Now, Talking about the Wolves, uh, they picked uh, Frederick Decal last year with the 41st overall pick in the first round. 
and then in the second round, they picked, of course, Kelly Lopinen with that pick. Now, moving forward to this year, they will have the 31st overall pick in the first round. And just looking through the list, they will have the 91st pick in the second round. For North Bay last year, they had some pretty good success, realistically, uh, with Martin Hugo Haas uh, in the first round of that draft. And then, of course, uh, Nico uh, Corpialo, who unfortunately didn't really pan out for them. But still, there's a really good chance that Sudbury and North Bay can make big, big splashes moving forward at the CHL import draft. And I'm excited to see how this all goes for every team moving forward going to Tuesday. Yeah, I think North Bay has an opportunity here that they need to pick wisely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very, very wisely. Um, because North Bay absolutely needs to be a better team next year, without question. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is going to be interesting because when we look at the CHL import drafts, the piece that a lot of people kind of miss sometimes is that a lot of these guys uh, have already been drafted by an NHL team. They are looking to come over to North America and to make an impact not only on the club that they play for, but also have eyes on them from their NHL club that owns their rights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seen this before and, Obviously, this is kind of the, the intent of this this draft is that they have opportunities to play on North American ice. Uh, they are looking to have uh, growth within their game. And these guys are coming over at a time where they're starting to kind of hit their stride in their careers as far as their junior careers are concerned. So um, I North Bay needs to make a very, very wise decision on the 30th. Absolutely. And obviously for the Wolves, they've had really good success over the last couple of years. Of course, Uga Pekalukinen being a prime example of that. He proved to be a huge difference maker. And like you said, a lot of these players have been drafted. Of course, Lukanen and Decal being drafted by their respective teams in the National Hockey League are deciding to come over, kind of put their foot in the water of North American ice because the ice, uh, the ice, uh, is different over there in Europe based off of the size. So they want to be able to try and take that next step and get used to the North American side of hockey, which is a great move for them going forward. It worked out really well for Lukanen. Hopefully it'll work out really well for Frederick Decal And whoever comes in for North Bay or Subway, it works out for them, whether it be a goalie or another forward. And we were looking at the possible prospects going into this. And of course, there are a few notable names uh, the one that really stands out to me is Aturati, who, of course, has had really good success on the international stage and, of course, playing for Carpot in Liga. Uh, you pointed out Jesper Wallstead, the standout goaltender from Lulela. Uh, Nikita Chibrikov is another one that really stands out to me. Uh, Artyom Grushnikov is another great name that a lot of people have their eyes on. And whether or not North Bay goes off of these top 16 picks going forward... Like you said, they need to make a really wise decision because this could very well put you back in the running for getting into the playoffs, especially since they have the first overall pick coming into the organization. You really need to build your team into a competitive powerhouse and get North Bay back into the playoffs. So moving forward, the battalion can hopefully make the right pick moving forward 
in that this kid, whoever they pick, is going to make an immediate impact and will really turn North Bay around for the future. No, without question. And, you know, you go back to, to Uko Pekalukanen, and it's not just that he came over and played for the Sudbury Wolves, and we see this a lot. Guys that have had a positive experience playing in the CHL become somewhat of ambassadors for the teams that they played for. So in the case of Lukanen, Uko Pekalukanen, the reason that Kali Lopanen decided to actually come over and commit to the Sudbury Wolves was because of UPL. You know, he had so many great things to say about the city of Sudbury, uh, the fans, the organization, and that helped make Lopanen's decision for him. And mm-hmm. you know what? As far as the Buffalo Sabres were concerned, when they were obviously able to see him on a more regular basis, especially when the team was, you know, in some of those uh, Southern stops along their journey, that they were able to really kind of keep a close eye on him and further his development. It goes a long way and it gets these guys to where they want to be that much quicker. Yeah. And the the big factor, obviously, with that is for bringing Lopin and along with Lukanen is because they're both from Finland. And yeah. they both know each other. So that really helps out. And Lopinen is, of course, drafted by Toronto. So he's trying to get exposure to North American ice before making the next step in his hockey career. And that, that was the exact same thing with Lukanen. And Decal obviously wants to make that next step too. He wasn't a high draft pick necessarily for Montreal, but he was still a really good pick at the time. So moving forward, this could very well work out for Frederick Decal and could potentially turn into another Ukapekalukanen. Will that be possible? Maybe, maybe not, because Lukanen was a very special goaltender for how limited time he was here in Sudbury. But for North Bay, obviously last season was a humongous write-off because they just were not succeeding on the ice. There was a lack of fan base that year. People just didn't want to go to games to support a losing team, which every team's going to have that problem. But obviously, North Bay couldn't get Adam Ventilli, so they went for the next best thing, and it could very well work out for them. But when it comes to the international players, their success of international players hasn't been all that great over the last couple of years. Of course, Corby Allaby, one of them, just didn't work out for them, and they cut their losses with that, and they're moving forward. So now with these draft picks, they really need to be smart with it moving forward. And I honestly think with the new management, I can't help but feel like they're going to make the right decision and that North Bay is going to be super competitive next year. I I think you just hit the nail on the head with that, with the new group that is in place. You know, Stan Butler obviously is no longer GM and head coach. Uh, Stan liked things Stan's way. And Stan will probably be one of the first people to tell you that Stan liked it Stan's way. Uh, And that's why things were structured the way that they were in North Bay. And, you know, with Adam Dennis coming in, I think um, he's got the hockey sense and he knows what he's doing. He's put Ulihan in. Uh, I think that was just such a smart move on his part. And I think that the right decision this time is going to be made. I'm not saying that Stan made the wrong decision. I'm just saying that I think that the new management group um, that is in place in hockey operations is is going to do the right thing and draft uh, or through this import draft um, the right person for their team. Yeah, the right fit, especially for the new kid coming through, right? Absolutely. 
Well, Amanda, that's it for another episode. And again, was a really uh, was a really bulky episode with a lot to talk about. And obviously, with a couple of these topics, we'll keep in touch with it. Um, but you know, obviously, moving forward, you know, it, it, it's the NHL is still planning to come back. But do we even see that in the future? Is still what I'm trying to debate because. As optimistic as the OHL and NHL is, I can't help but feel like having sports, especially hockey, at this time of year is just something that we're not used to. So hopefully we do have more news to talk about for next week. But I think we covered all the bases for this week. I think we did. And you know what? I think at this time of the year, normally we would be talking about uh, the NHL entry draft. We would be talking about the awards that have been handed out. It is just such a different time. And... You know, watching or listening to the draft poolside is kind of my MO uh, at this time of the year. And it seems very strange to not be doing that. And so many unknowns. But you know what? Grab yourself a cold one. Go sit by the pool anyways. And uh, stay tuned for more news and notes. Yeah. And next week, we'll obviously get into the draft lottery, which is, of course, supposed to be happening uh, this week, so we'll be excited to talk about that moving forward and speculate who uh, each team is going to be picking, and I think that'll make for a really good episode and debate for a lot of people. But that is going to do it for episode 11 of the Deep Geeks podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening, whether you're listening on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. We thank you for your continued support. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at Deep Geeks Pod. Uh, make sure you follow Amanda and myself on Twitter. And until next week, I'm Thomas Mercy. She's Amanda Serkowski. Thanks for listening to episode 11 of the Deep East podcast. Until next week, take care and stay safe.